Welcome to the Peavine Podcast, where each week we bring you the message from our Sunday morning worship service with Pastor Joel Sutherland. We take timeless biblical truth and help you to apply it in the context of your daily life. If you'd like to join us live at one of our campuses or stream one of our services online, go to peavine.org for times, locations, and more information. Uh, I, I'm just doing a two-week series last week and this week called Marriage Minute, putting your marriage on the clock. Let's see if we can help it in just a minute. Now, I want to preach a short sermon today based on 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 13, and I want to preach on Keep On Loving You. Does anybody recognize that title? Who sung that song? Ario Speedwagon. I'm going to keep on loving you. I got it, man. I know every word. All right. First Corinthians 13. Shouldn't brag about that, but I will. It's Mother's Day again. Happy Mother's Day. I I saw these statistics as you're finding your place about Mother's Day. You can't read it, but the amount of money we spend on gifts for mom is reaching record highs this Mother's Day. Consumers plan to shell out a total of 35.7 billion dollars this year as com- as opposed to 35.7 cents on father's day <laughs> that's up 4 billion dollars more than last year flowers and greeting cards are the most popular gifts tied at 74% followed by special outings like dinner or brunch 60% Consumers will spend $7.8 billion on jewelry, $5.6 billion on special outings, and $4 billion on electronics. Mama wants an iPad for Mother's Day. 84% of U.S. adults said they expect to celebrate on Mother's Day. It's a big deal, Mother's Day. I'm thankful for my mother, my mother-in-law, my two daughters have been great uh, uh, mothers early on. My wife is absolutely fantastic. Ladies, we, we appreciate you. But I want to take today's sermon, instead of preaching to mothers, I want to once again preach to families. I don't think anything will make a mother more happy than a family that loves one another. And so I, I want to preach on 1 Corinthians 13, and, and I want to talk about Love in our home, love in our marriages. They recently did a survey about people and their couches, their couches. And they wanted to know what all your couch has seen, what all your couch has experienced. Here's here's what they found out about the average American couch. It has 316 drink spills on your couch. Now, we know that's skewed one way or the other, because if you have um, four and five and six-year-olds at home, that's more like 3,000, but I guess it's an average. We had 401 naps on your couch, 537 film screenings, or you, you've watched movies on your couch. Your couch has eaten the remote 346 times. I mean, how many times have you said, Mama, I can't find the remote? It's in the couch. It ate it. It has watched 8,508 hours of television. And the kids have scribbled on it an average of 65 times. This couch has been put through the ringer. But the couch has also been in some very awkward situations as well. 
Sometimes we would not want a couch to write a diary of the home it's involved in. Why? Because the average couch has seen 311 arguments. 311 times the couch in your home has seen a husband and wife going at it. 286 times it has witnessed a makeup. Notice there are more arguments than there are makeups. And then 269 times somebody has had to sleep on the sofa after an argument between a husband and wife. And let's be real. 269 times it's seen the husband sleep on the sofa after an argument. The fact is, you may have never thought about it, but your couch has been a, a significant part of your marriage relationship. Your couch has seen significant issues. It has been with you as, you, as you've dealt with issues in your marriage and in your family. But I'll tell you what ought to be more a part of your marriage relationship than your couch is this chapter I'm about to read, 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 13 should be the most significant part of your relationship with your husband or with your wife. It is 1 Corinthians 13 that our marriage should be bathed in, that our, our family should be bathed in, that our relationship should be bathed in. I don't know when the last time you've read 1 Corinthians 13, but it's hard to not recognize the beauty and importance of 1 Corinthians 13. Look at what some Christian people have said over the years about 1 Corinthians 13. Billy Graham said this, 1 Corinthians 13 is one of the most beautiful chapters in the Bible, but it's also one of the most challenging. Uh, uh, Billy Sunday said, love is not a mere sentiment. Love is the most practical thing in the world. The 13th chapter of 1 Corinthians is a beautiful description of love in action. John MacArthur said, 1 Corinthians 13 is the litmus test for Christian behavior. That's what Christian people have said. But you can even get outside of Christian world. Maya Angelou said, 1 Corinthians 13 is one of the greatest passages in the Bible about love, and it's not just a religious thing. Elizabeth Edwards said, 1 Corinthians 13 is a beautiful passage, even if you don't believe in the Bible. It's just beautiful. And finally, that great theologian, Denzel Washington, said, 1 Corinthians 13 is a beautiful, beautiful thing. It is a life changer. It has transformed me. Even inside of Christian circles and even out of Christian circles, we read 1 Corinthians 13. We quote 1 Corinthians 13. We have it read in our weddings. Every time I do a wedding, I read first some portion of 1 Corinthians 13. We even have it, many people, posted on the wall somewhere in the house. But I want to say this to you this morning. There's a big difference between what's posted on the wall and what's happening in the hall. A lot of times we have the words plastered through our house. We have parts of verses or verses plastered through our house. But here's the big, uh, that's the big Christian disconnect, right? The Christians love to have Bible verses on their profiles. They love to have Bible verses in their home. They love to have Bible verses on the mirror. But we look at those Bible verses and we just gloss over them and it's not really what's happening in the hall. It's more important for it to be happening than it is for it to be seen. And we need love happening in the hall, we need love happening on the couch, and we need love happening in every room in the home. So what would that look like? Would you stand with me as we honor God's Word by reading one of the most beautiful passages of Scripture? And if you don't have your Bible, it'll be on the screen. 
Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, look beginning at verse number one. If I speak human or angelic tongues, but do not have love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and understanding, understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so that I can move mountains, but I do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give away all my possessions, and if I give over my body in order uh, to boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy, is not boastful, is not arrogant, is not rude, is not self-seeking, is not irritable, and does not keep a record of wrongs. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. But as for prophecies, they'll come to an end. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will come to an end. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully as I am fully known. Verse 13. Now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Thank you. You may be seated. I want us this morning to get a good, good understanding of what God is telling us and how we can implement 1 Corinthians 13 in our marriage and how we can implement 1 Corinthians 13 in our lives. Let me tell you three things about this passage just quickly this morning that we need to know. First of all, you need to know this, that without love, you're nothing. Without love, you are nothing. Here's what I said, but do not have love. Do not have love. Now, I want you to see for a second the Christian that Paul describes to open up this chapter. Now, here's the thing about 1 Corinthians. Paul is writing to 1 Corinthians, and they are a theological disaster. They are a practical disaster. 1 Corinthians 13, this Corinthian church does nothing right. They have all kinds of immorality, all kinds of fighting. Their theology's all wrong. Paul is using 1 Corinthians 13 to set up 1 Corinthians 14. But yet in the middle of all of this just nonsense that's going on in Corinth, we find two of the greatest chapters in the Bible. Two of the greatest chapters we have in our Bible, 1 Corinthians 13, 1 Corinthians 15, and Paul uses these two chapters to try to bring them back. And this is a church that is very concerned about, listen to this, your perceived spirituality. Now, now hear that. They're not very concerned about your real godliness and holiness, but they are concerned about your perceived spirituality. And so Paul uses that concern of theirs to move into this passage on love. Look, look at what Paul said. Look at what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13. Now, now, n- notice what he said here. I just put them in the list so we could see them all at a glance. He said, now what if, what if you were the kind of Christian, he says, that could speak human or angelic tongues? Now, you have to dive in here a little bit, and we're not going to dive in. Uh, speaking in tongues was a big deal in Corinth, but they were doing it all wrong. They were actually manufacturing it, making it up. In the Bible, speaking in tongues is not a private prayer language. It's not even an angelic tongue, though that's what they were calling it. 
Paul was correcting them in 1 Corinthians 14, letting them know that speaking in tongues is when you speak in a, in a foreign language, but you hear in your native language for one purpose and one pers- purpose only, so the gospel could be understood by someone who normally wouldn't understand your language. That's what it is every time in the book of Acts. And so they'd taken it and they'd perverted it and they were speaking in tongues and calling it angelic language. So Paul just leans into that. And he said, what if you spoke a lot of languages? And what if there was even an angelic tongue and you could speak an angelic tongue? So he starts off with that because he's kind of using uh, their own bad theology against them when he starts it off. So he said, I'll, I'll, okay, I'll run with you. What, what if you could speak? every language, including a heavenly language. Well, the minute Paul says that, they're going to perk up and they're going to think to themselves, well, that, that would be the most spiritual person I could imagine. But he, but he goes on. He said, what if you have the gift of prophecy? Now, when you see the gift of prophecy in the New Testament, it, it doesn't mean uh, fortune telling or telling the future. It is the gift of proclamation. You see, it is truth telling. So when he talked about the gift of prophecy, it would be the gift of preaching. It would be the gift of telling forth the truth of God, which is highly revered in that day. So now we've got a Christian who can speak known languages, unknown languages, has the, uh, is a great preacher. Not only that, he can understand all mysteries in the Bible. So that means this person, when he opens up his Bible, understands everything in this Bible. Nothing is clouded. Nothing is unclear. And by the way, that's nobody today. I don't, that's not me. There are times people ask me a Bible question and I'm like, no idea. There there are times people love to come to me. So in the book of Haggai in the Old Testament, and I'm right off the bat, I'm like, I don't know. I don't have any idea. I can look it up, but I don't know. But this guy Paul's talking about understands all ministry, has all knowledge. Like he, he knows everything there's about the Bible. No, hey, we're, go, we're, we're not done. This person has the faith that can move mountains. Remember Jesus saying that in the New Testament? It's a little bit of faith. You can say move that mountain. So Paul's leaning into that. And Paul's saying, we're, we're talking about a Christian here that could absolutely move a mountain. Now, can you imagine that Christian? Man, he, 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 he preaches the word of God. He, he knows languages. He, he speaks angelic tongues. He doesn't. He knows the answer to every Bible question you may have, every spiritual question you may have, but he's not just a know-it-all. His faith is so strong that he can say to a mountain, physically or a mountain in your life, whether it be physical, mental, spiritual, emotional, he can remove that mountain for you, cast it to be gone. Well, not only that, you say, well, I bet a guy like that would be rich when Paul deals with that. And he says, well, what if he gave away all of his possessions and had nothing, kept nothing to himself? And what if he was martyred for the gospel's sake and gave over his body to death? Now, let me, let me pause right here. What kind of super Christian would that be? Right, like what kind? You've never met this guy. Uh, Paul wouldn't even qualify for all of these. I mean, what if your pastor was somebody more spiritual than the Apostle Paul? Can you imagine what a great Christian that would be, knowing he was going to give his life for the gospel's sake, knowing he was going to give away everything he had, knowing he could move mountains on and on we go? I mean, what kind of super Christian are we dealing with right here? We're dealing with a Christian that the world has never seen. And Paul said, what if you could do all that? And then look back at verse number one. 
In my Bible, verse number one starts off, if, if. Why is that word if in there? It is a subordinating conjunction that introduces a condition. If, if. Here's the condition. You can be a super Christian, super Christian. What kind of Christian? I mean, super Christian. Move mountains, know everything, speak like an angel, preach like nobody's business, give away everything you have, move mountains, and die for the gospel's sake. If that's you. If. If. But. Do not have love. I'm nothing. Do not have love. I'm nothing. Here's what Paul was saying. Listen, it doesn't matter how great you are at other things. Without love, you are nothing. Without it, you are nothing. Now listen to me this morning. The marriage truth is this. It doesn't matter how great you are at spousey things. It does not matter how great you are at husbandy things. It does not matter how great you are at wifey things. If there's not love, the marriage is not going to go well. You say, what do you mean? I, I mean this. Can I, can, I just, can I just lean into natural stereotypes for a minute? Man, it doesn't matter if you know how to fix your car. It doesn't. It doesn't matter if you know how to paint your house. It doesn't matter, men, if, 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 you, if you know how to uh, mow the grass and manicure the lawn just to get it absolutely perfect. Men, none of that matters. If you're not loving your wife, she doesn't care about the rest of it. Ladies, it doesn't matter how good you can cook. Doesn't matter how much money you earned. It doesn't matter uh, how well you keep your house. Listen, if you do not have love, then the rest of this doesn't matter. Why? Because you can do, you can be great at, at being a husband and you can be great at the physical things of being a wife, but love is not an ingredient. Love is the ingredient in the home. And if you don't have love, in your marriage, it's never going to be what it ought to be. I, I, brought, I brought a treat this morning. Y'all know I love to eat during a sermon. Everybody know what this is? Oreos, right? And I literally have been debating all morning whether to eat one of these in front of you. And my biggest fear is I'm going to get black all in my teeth and be on camera. And so I'm, I'm not going to eat one in front of you. But... Uh, you are not welcome to help yourself. I need these for all three sermons, but, but you, you have an Oreo. And uh, let, let me tell you some statistics about Oreos. You'll find this interesting. Double stuffed Oreos are a lie. Do you know that? They do not double the filling. That's what they're supposed to do. There's only 1.86 times bigger than regular ones, so short of double. Mega stuffed cookies known to have three times the filling only have 2.68 times the cream in reality. It's a lot of stuffing, so we'll let them pass. Get this, 123 tons of cream are made each year. Oreo bakeries bake, make more than 123 tons of cream to fill the perfect cookies. Each original cookie is 29% cream and 71% cookie. More than 500 billion Oreos have been sold. Since 1912, nearly half a trillion Oreos 
trillion Oreo cookies have been sold around the world. In 2011 alone, more than 35 billion were sold, and more than 10 billion of those were sold in the United States. And get this, a 2013 study says this, they are as addictive as cocaine. It suggests that the fats and the sugars and Oreos make this cookie just as addictive as a uh, psychoactive drug. There's great controversy with an Oreo. Great controversy. Do you know what the controversy is? The way we like to eat them is we like to split it in half and it makes it last longer, but look at the problem with that. The problem with splitting it in half to get half the cream on one side and half the cream on the other side has been a problem since, that has plagued men since 1912. Because it's double the fun, right? So, so we know that's an issue. So you can try all the conceivable twisting configurations you can come up with to achieve what the paper, they did a paper describes as post-mortem cream distribution. I love that so much. They came up with something. I'm going to have to read it to you because uh, they came up with something. Uh, listen, MIT, the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, in 2022, they just did it, took on a world-changing project trying to split an Oreo in half and get cream on both sides. They, they did a 3D printing device dubbed the Oreometer. And here's what they discovered. Trying to get half the cream on both sides. All conceivable twisting configurations as well as different varieties of Oreos to achieve what the paper describes as post-mortem cream distribution. None resulted in the cream being split in half. So it was distributed across the surface of each wafer. At best, the cream separated into a half moon shape on each, resulting in a wafer that was half bare. You say, why would MIT take on a project trying to get good amounts of cream on both sides of the cookie? Here's why. An Oreo without the cream is not a thing. An Oreo without the cream, I have to move those or I'm going to eat them. An Oreo without the cream, you, you know what we call that? A bland chocolate cookie. Why? Cream is the main ingredient. If they were, if Oreos were selling two chocolate wafers connected by nothing in a box, you wouldn't buy them. It would have gone out of business. Why? It's the cream that makes all the difference in the world. The cream is the main ingredient. Hear me, in your marriage, love is the cream. Love is the main ingredient. You can do everything right in your home, but if you don't have the cream, I got Oreo everywhere. If you don't have the cream, if you don't have the cream, if you don't have the love, love is the main ingredient. I mean, how much love is in your home? Let me, let me ask you a question. How much love is coming from you? How much are you actively loving your spouse, actively loving your husband, actively loving your wife? Your home ought to be known for that. Your home ought to be known, men, you ought to be known by how much you love your wife. Ladies, you ought to be known by how much you love your husband. 
If you have kids, your kids ought to be talking about all the time how much daddy loves mama, how much mama loves daddy, how they're wanting to grow old together, how that's the perfect relationship you would like to emulate as you get older. Why? It takes the ingredient of love. Love is the main thing. And without love in your marriage, you don't have a marriage. And the older you get, if you stay together, it's going to degenerate into a brother-sister relationship. It's not going to feel like two lovers living together. It's going to feel like two cousins living together. It's just not the same. Why? Because without it, without it, you're nothing. I've got to move so much faster. Number two, let me show you what love looks like. Sometimes we say love and sometimes and, and, and we might mean it, but we don't really know what love is. So let me say this to you. Boy, I wanted to spend a lot of time here. I just can't. Let me say, love is a verb before it's a feeling. I want you to say this with me. All right, say it with me. Love is a verb before it is a feeling. Love is a verb before it is a feeling in your life. The feeling doesn't come and then the uh, uh uh, verb comes, the action comes, the action comes, and then the feeling comes after that. So Paul gave us a definition of love. You can't read that, but it's in your Bible. Let me, let me read it to you. First of all, he says, here's what love is. Love is patient. Right? How do I know if I'm loving my spouse? If you are patient with your husband, if you are patient with your wife, even when you don't feel like it, if you're displaying patience to them on a regular basis, that is a way of loving your spouse. Love is not boastful. That love, you, you've seen marriages when one's trying to one-up the other one and one's trying to say they're better at this or better at that. Stop all that mess. Love is not boastful. Not only that, love is not selfish. Love does not demand its own way. Love does not demand its own rights. Love is not all about me. Love is not serving me. Love is me serving you. Love does not have any selfishness in it whatsoever. Love doesn't love wrong. It never rejoices in unrighteousness. And love always hopes. It's so important for a marriage hope is not, well, I hope it gets better one day. Hope is I believe that with the power of Christ and the help of Christ that our marriage can be all it can be. Listen, we're, we're, we're nowhere near done. We're a third of the way. Love is kind. How do I love my spouse? How do I love my husband, my wife? I do it through acts of kindness in our marriage, just small acts of kindness. Listen to this, love is not arrogant. Pride has no place in marriage because Pride may very well be the opposite of love. Look at this one. Love is not irritable. Are you ever irritable? I mean, let's be honest. We're all irritable at times in our lives, right? Look straight this way. Don't look the person next to you. Don't say amen. Sometimes, sometimes we're irritable. And we're irritable, we're not loving. Love always protects Love always, perseveres, doesn't give up. Love does not envy, it's not jealous of the other spouse. Love is not going to be rude. And by the way, sometimes what we call being funny 
is just rude. I've seen husbands who put down their wives and think it's funny and wives who put down their husbands and think it's funny. It's not. How about this one? Love doesn't record wrongs. I mean, you you heard about the guy that said, man, every time my wife and I get in a fight, she gets historical. And the guy said, you mean hysterical? He said, no, I mean historical. She brings up everything I've ever done wrong in my life. Love doesn't record wrongs. Aren't, Aren't you thankful Jesus didn't record our wrongs? Love always trusts. And finally, love never fails. This is what love looks like. This is God's definition of love. And in your marriage, if this isn't what's going on in your marriage, listen, this isn't love. That's not love. You might like each other. You might tolerate each other. You might be friends with each other. You may be good roommates with each other. But if this is not going on, it is not I tried to find a video of this and I couldn't, but let me, let me just read, read to you. Boeing engineers, Boeing set a record for paper plane flight distance. Did you see that just happened a few weeks ago? Dylan Rubel and Garrett Jensen, two engineers working at Boeing, broke a record in December, was a couple months ago, that only had a little to do with their day jobs. They set a new world record for farthest flight by paper aircraft, sending a sheet of paper 290 feet. Now, for all the guys who made a paper airplane in grammar school and you struggled to get it across the room, they threw it a football field. Rubel and Jensen studied origami and aerodynamics for months, putting in, the, putting in 400 to 500 hours of creating different prototypes to try to design a plane that could fly for higher and longer. For the Guinness's Book of World Records, we ended up going with an A4 size paper and went up to the maximum for weight, 100 grams per square meter. meter. The heavier the paper, the greater the momentum when you throw it. It takes them 20 minutes to accurately fold the record-breaking paper airplane. 20 minutes, 500 hours in designing through aerodynamics, a paper airplane that will travel a football field. And do you know what a paper airplane, you're going to find this fascinating. You know what a paper airplane and a real airplane have in common? Nothing. One has a jet engine, the other one's a piece of paper. But they both use the word plane, P-L-A-N-E. They have nothing in common other than they borrow a word. And we have the same thing going on in our marriages. We call it love, but there are few similarities between the love displayed in our home and the love that God talks about. One has a jet engine. One is just a piece of paper. And we need to understand that if we're going to show love to our spouse, this is what love looks like. 
like patient, not boastful, not selfish, doesn't love wrong, always hopes, is kind, is not prideful, is not irritable, always protects, always preserves, does not envy, is not rude, doesn't record wrongs, always trusts and never fails. That is love. Now, I need to help you, help me. Look this way. Everybody look this way because the whole time I've been preaching this, here's what you've been doing. You've been diagnosing whether or not you are being loved. And that's not love. That's selfishness. Now, I want you to look at it again. I don't want you to measure whether or not you're being loved. I want you to measure whether or not you are doing the loving. Are you being patient and not boastful? And you can see the list there in your Bible. You say, preacher, I I don't know that I can do that. Can I tell you, it takes two things, two things. Number one is gonna take intentionality on your part. You're not gonna accidentally love your husband and your wife the way God designed for them to be loved. Can't happen. And number two is gonna take this. I would submit this. Only a child of God, walking, filled with the Spirit of God, can love that way. You say, preacher, I can't do that. Those things is because you're not filled with the Spirit of God. Preacher, I can't live that way. It may be that you don't know Christ because it takes the Spirit of God working in your heart and life. And if you want to be a better wife, you want to be a better husband, you get in the Word of God and you walk with God and you pray with God and you be filled with the Spirit of God because when you're filled with the Spirit of God, then you can do by being intentional and by being filled with the Spirit. So let me show you the third thing. Number three. I need to tell you, you'll be remembered for how you loved. Verse 13 tells us that. Now, these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. All before that, all he's talking about is what's going to pass away, what's not going to make it, what's going to pass away. And he says the greatest Christian virtue is love. As a matter of fact, that's the one love will impact the most people. Love will stay with people the longest. Love will show Christ to them the greatest. You'll be remembered by how you loved. And that's so true in your marriage. Nobody at a funeral talks about how much money their spouse made, how manicured the lawn was, or how clean the house is. They talk about or don't talk about how much they loved and how much they were loved. Close your Bibles and I'm finished. I'm gonna show you a picture of a guy. His name is John Quinn. I doubt you know this story. John Quinn had a problem. His wife was in labor in the hospital in California and they wouldn't allow him to go into the living room. Now, I wanna be honest. I think he may have ruined it for the rest of us because I don't mind the days when, you know, the men were in the hospital smoking a cigar in a room and they just brought the baby out and I'm not good with all that stuff that goes on in a room, but now we're all back there watching it all and um, uh, he, John Quinn's the guy that started it. As a matter of fact, he told the obstetrician back in 1960, men were not allowed in the delivery room. And he told the obstetrician, he said, this is my wife, I love her and I wanna be there. This is my li- wife, I love her and I wanna be there. So the doctor said no. And he went to the hospital administrators and they said no. And they said it wasn't safe for him to be in the room. They weren't set up for spectators and that it was impossible for him to be in the room. So in 1960, 1960, John Quinn did what any 23-year-old college student might've done. He took a heavy metal chain and he held his wife's hand and they interlocked their hand and he wrapped the chain around both their wrists and he put two heavy padlocks on it without the key. The only way they could get him out 
was to bring in somebody to saw the chain or cut the chain in half or get them both out. The doctors looked at John Quinn, they're like, okay. They called the police to arrest him after it was over, but John Quinn watched his child being delivered. This is my wife, I love her, I wanna be there. After the birth, he had hidden the key. He unlocked himself from his wife and walked out of the room past the hospital officials and past the police standing outside. The newspaper said that the police were scratching their heads as he walked past. They didn't really know what to charge him with. Unlawfully watching his baby being born is probably not on the books. He'll be forever remembered as the guy who loved his wife so much, he padlocked himself to her and risked going to jail because he loved his wife that much. John Quinn will be remembered for how much he loved his wife. The question is, will you? Why don't you intentionally start loving your spouse today? Why don't you get filled with the Spirit of God so you can love your spouse today? Why don't you quit worrying about what your spouse is doing or not doing? And why don't you start worrying about what you ought to do? Set the example for your kids as they grow your grandkids as they grow, for, for couples that are around you who desperately need an image of what a godly, loving marriage looks like. Would you stand with me across the room? The greatest example of love we see anywhere in the scriptures is in the person of Jesus. He invented love. Romans 5, 8 tells us this, but God commended his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When we were doing nothing for God, he loved us so much, he did everything for us. If you're here today and you're looking at that list of things on the screen and you're like, preacher, I can't do that, I can't do that, I can't do that. It's because maybe, maybe, you don't have the spirit of God dwelling in your life to empower you to do that. That only comes through knowing Jesus as the Lord and Savior of your life. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes? No matter what campus you're at, you're online, would you bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment? Thank you, Pastor Joel, for that challenge from God's Word about our marriage. And um, in that passage of Scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, is the greatest love chapter and it talks about um, all, all of the different qualities we're supposed to have and then it says the greatest of these is love and um, and sometimes it's good for us in our marriages to hear that and focus on those things where we we show our loves and then we show our love to each other and then our, our, um, our emotions and our heart follow those acts of love and appreciate that challenge this morning. You know this, without the power of the Holy Spirit living inside of you, we, each of us, is incapable of achieving the things Pastor Joel talked about in his sermon this morning. And the way you get the power of the Holy Spirit living inside of you is by beginning a relationship with Jesus that starts with you understanding that you're a sinner and your sin has separated you from God. There's nothing you can do to fix that on your own. But God loved us and wanted a relationship with us and He sent Jesus to die on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin. 
you've got to believe that Jesus died on the cross, He was buried, and that He rose again on the third day. And then according to Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10, you believe that in your heart and you confess it with your mouth and you will be saved. And maybe you're watching this morning and you need to give your heart and life to Christ. I'm going to lead you into prayer. It's not the words that you say. It's, there's nothing magic about the prayer. It, it is articulating the intent of your heart. If you need to give your heart and life to Christ this morning, tell God this. Lord, I know I'm a sinner and I'm sorry for my sin. I believe that Jesus died on the cross, that He was buried, and that He rose again on the third day paying the penalty for my sin. Lord, right now, right where I am, I ask you to come into my heart, take away my sin, be my Savior. Lord, I give my life to you in Jesus' name. If you prayed that prayer this morning for the very first time and you meant it, man, I want to celebrate with you. And I want to say, welcome to the family. I want to tell you also that you aren't on this journey alone. We want to help you take next steps. And so, if you'll click on the button, we've just dropped it in the chat box. It says, I commit my life to Christ. We're going to send you some information in the mail. And uh, we're also going to connect with you uh, this week. Hey, it's been awesome to be together this morning. Celebrate with your mom today. Have a great week. God bless you. We'll see you next week. We hope that you've enjoyed the message this week as we help equip you to apply God's Word to your daily life. For the latest updates about what's happening around Peavine City, be sure to connect with us on social media. For more information about Peavine, to get in touch with us or check out one of our services, visit us at peavine.org. Thanks for listening. <music>